Looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. This is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, Brad and I have a great chat with Coach Brad Dixon. Coach Dixon wears many hats at Central High School in Camp Point, Illinois. He is the head football coach, the boys track coach, the strength and conditioning coach, and a physical education teacher. His football team has made 12 straight playoff appearances, along with a state runner-up in 2018, where Coach Dixon was the coach of the year. A man of many mottos, hashtag win the day, hashtag up early to train, and his team's freak standards, which we will chat about on the podcast, Brad knows what it takes to get kids to buy into a system and provide the leadership, mentorship, and support high school kids need to thrive in today's school and sports environment. As always, please rate and review the show after you have listened. If you know anyone who would benefit from Coach Dixon's thoughts, please share the show with them or follow him at Twitter, at Coach B. Dixon. Let's continue to grow the mind, optimize performance, and change the system. My name is Brad Dixon, and uh, I'm currently the head football coach, uh, head boys track coach, and strength conditioning coordinator uh, on the boys' side here at uh, Camp Point Central High School uh, in West Central Illinois. Uh, we are located about two hours uh, north of St. Louis, um, for a point of reference, or a, a couple hours west of uh, Springfield, Illinois, to, just to kind of give you where we're close to the Mississippi River, but uh, our high school literally sits in the middle of Cornfield. So we're a rural school district, um, class 1A, which is the smallest class in uh, Illinois. We've got an enrollment of about 240 uh, students. So uh, we come from that small school background. I grew up in that uh, small school atmosphere uh, near the Quad Cities um, in Illinois. And so it was kind of an easy transition to come here. I played a year of college football at Knox College in Galesburg, and then I uh, uh, was able to transfer back home, closer to home, to uh, a junior college and start my coaching career back when I was 19 years old in uh, 2003. Uh, I was an assistant football and assistant junior high boys basketball coach. And so I did that through college. And then I was able to uh, get the job down here at Camp Point back in 2007 as an assistant. And I think I was an assistant for uh, three years. And then I took over as head coach, maybe four years took over as head coach in 2011 and I, I've been here ever since. Um, so I've been fortunate uh, to be teaching at the same place my whole career for the last 13 years. Um, I've got a great staff of guys that have been with me. My my offensive coordinator has been here for 12 of my 13. My, my other main assistant's been here for 11 of those. And, and we've got a former player we've had for the last three years. So um, that's nice. And, and on the track side of things, my uh, one of my assistants, um, is also my junior high football coach. He was born and raised here in Camp Point. He's been here, I think, 15 years. And and then we just hired uh, another assistant who uh, was a student here and, and was a, a second place finisher in the 400 meters uh, five or six years ago. So uh, a lot of local people that have stayed home here and, and uh, for a transplant like myself, um, this is a great place. And, and this is where I met my wife and, and now we're married with two kids. And so it's just a great place to raise kids and, and uh, you know, people that, that come here tend to stay here. And and uh, so we've enjoyed that atmosphere, um, you know, and then over the last 
few years, um, my roles expanded a little bit. I used to teach uh, social studies. I did that for about 10 years. And then I saw the need for um, some, uh, you know, during the school day type strength conditioning, athletic PE classes. And, and I knew some, a lot of schools were, were going to that model. And, and um, so I was willing to go back and get my PE certification so that I could transition into that PE role. And, and last year in, in 2018, 19 school year, I was able to become full-time in the PE department and um, able to have uh, four athletic PE classes, almost 100 athletes each day, um, and then a couple regular PE classes. So that's been a, um, a decent transition. And, and over the last several years, we've um, had some good success um, football. Uh, we uh, played for the state championship in 2018, um, and we came up short in that game. Uh, but it was the furthest um, that any team has ever went in central history. Uh, to be able to actually play for a state championship. And we brought home the second place trophy. Um, and then uh, in track, uh, we were able to break several records last year, um, four by one, four by two, um, both qualified for state. Um, we finished seventh in the four by two last year, um, shattered the school record by two seconds, uh, beat the four by one record for, by almost two seconds. Um, and so this year we're hoping to take uh, – a bigger leap and get some more individuals down there. And, and our track numbers are, are the highest they've, I think they've ever been at uh, 50 between the boys and the girls. So, um, you know, we're happy with the, the way things are going here and, and um, you know, there's a lot of excitement uh, around our school and, and the athletic programs. That's, uh, that's awesome to hear. Do you feel like your involvement in the school as a PE teacher and then also the, your staff being a lot of local people, really helps with the buy-in from the kids coming out for your programs and then ultimately having the success that you guys have had recently? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I talk to coaches a lot, um, you know, that ask questions and things like that. And, and a lot of the, the questions are on staff buy-in. Well, how do you get your staff to buy into this? And, and my answer is, well, you know, we've been together long enough that we've done it wrong a lot of times. Um, but these people are loyal and, and we figure things out together and, and uh, they're, they're people that, that graduated from this school or have been here a long time, and, and they're committed to the school, they're committed to the kids, and the kids see that. Uh, I don't have a staff of five or six people that, that work outside the school, and, and the kids don't see them very much. Our, our kids get to see our coaches. They're all in the building, and, and I think that's something that, that's becoming less and less common in today's day and age. And I think it's vital if you're going to earn the respect of the kids and, and get the kids to believe what you're selling. And, and I know it's helped our track numbers being in the PE. We've got, I would say 15 to 20 first year track kids that have never, some of them have never played a sport before, but they're coming out for the first time because, you know, we've tried to make it exciting. I, I've worked on them for maybe uh, almost three semester or three quarters now, um, you know, trying to get them to, to come out and, and, encouraging them in certain events and things like that and so so i think that's definitely huge um you know if i wasn't in the building every day i wouldn't have any clue what what our numbers would be like but uh you know i think the kids respect that uh, we respect them and and uh, we're very mindful of their time you know myself coaching two sports and having a good relationship with the baseball and basketball coach uh, we work together to share athletes and we work together to make sure that our kids do get to enjoy some time off and have, have some summertime we we actually just enacted a school policy um, and it's been our unofficial policy for for a while but uh, that, that the fourth of july week in the summer is going to be a dead week from all practices games uh, really for a 10-day period, which, which like I said, we, we've kind of unofficially had that 
Um, but I think that was a, a definite step in the right direction of, of making sure our kids get to enjoy some of their, their summer. And I, and I think they respect that. And, and in turn, that, that makes them more excited to come out when the season starts in the fall if they know that we've cared about the time that we've used with them in the summer. I think, I think that's so important, too, because, like, as you're saying, you're getting good results, but you're also getting more participation where people actually want to be a part of the team and want to go out for it. You're not, you know, and, and that's the whole idea with it is you're not, like, running them into the ground to get these results. You're making it still a fun enough atmosphere where you're getting, I mean, roughly, what, 20% of the school or something like that to be, to be involved. So that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I, and I think that's where I know I failed for a long time, and and uh, you know whether it was the summer or practice or or you know Christmas break or whatever, I might write up Christmas break workouts or spring break workouts or you know all these different things. We used to have uh, optional lifting um, during our dead periods in the summer where someone else would come in and open the weight room, and and over time I've just decided that you know these kids are are giving me like forty seven weeks out of the year between what we're doing in school and what we're doing in the summer and. So we shut down completely for Christmas break and we give them three different separate weeks off in the summer, one right at the beginning of the summer, um, one there around the 4th of July. And then uh, we have a, a I, our, our association has a mandated week in the first week of August. And uh, we don't even I, you know, I haven't for multiple years now even let them come in um, because I, I just want them to understand that, hey, you guys have earned this week off or this week off or this two weeks over Christmas break. I don't want to see you. <laughs> I want you yeah. to go enjoy your family. I want you to go have fun. I want you to be a kid. And, and I wasn't always that way. It was always how much we could do and, and can we do more. Um, and really, once I started coaching track, I realized that more is definitely not better uh, from a track and field perspective for, for, for the sprinters and the explosive athletes. I understand, you know, the distance guys, it's a little bit different culture, but um, you know, it's really changed my whole philosophy on training and, and football and such, because if I, if I tried to run my track program, like I used to run my football program or, or my weight training program, um, everyone would be hurt and injured and I wouldn't have very many kids out. And so it's really helped to shape my philosophy. And then we were running into guys like Tony Holler and Chris Corfist and, and people, uh, with, with that like-minded feed the cats mentality has really, really been a game changer as well. When did you start coaching track and did that coincide directly with how you change your football program or those different Uh, points in your career? I I started coaching track, I think in, in 2016, 17 season, I believe. Um, Now we, as a football program, we had started to move away from uh, conditioning at the end of practice and things like that. We weren't totally bought into speed, speed, speed by any means, but we were starting to cut away things that we thought were wasting time. Um, but Mike Bickerman was an assistant coach of mine and he was a former head coach that we had hired, I think back in 2014. And he, he was a speed guy. Um, and he kind of preached it and I just kind of, it was kind of in one ear and out the other. I was a big weight room guy, like most coaches are. And it took, uh, him finally, we had a track opening. He worked on me, worked on me, worked on me. Finally, I agreed to help him do track. And then I kind of opened my eyes to this speed thing. And, and then that kind of got me connected with the the people on social media that I, that I referenced Tony and Chris and those guys. And, and, um, you know, we were really able to start thinking about actually training speed and not just, uh, hoping that we got faster. You know, I was a big, uh, well, if we lift hard enough and if we do, you know, if we run every once in a while and do agilities and all that, our guys will get faster. But we never timed. We timed beginning of the summer, end of summer. You know, that, that, that we were kind of like, well, 
we'll find out if we got faster. Now we actually train for it and, and we measure it and record it. Um, but that was definitely a, a, the, the tipping point was me joining, um, you know, the track program around here because, um, you know, I was still living in the, the weight room. I wouldn't say weight room only, but weight room, 95%, 90%, you know, sprint mm-hmm. agility, 10% uh, mentality, even though we had cut away some of the things we didn't think were useful in football practice. But it really wasn't until the second half of the, the 2017 football season that um, we really started shortening things up and, and worrying about how the kids felt and, and things like that. And then 2018, we went all in on the Feed the Cats football mentality, uh, where we only wore pads once a week. Um, and we really wanted to make Friday night the, the the night we really wanted them to be at their best. And, and we've been all in on that now for about two and a half years. So, yeah, I want to we'll get into more of the specifics of your program now. But I'm curious for you personally, from a development standpoint, like you alluded to some of the um, early failures or, or things that might not have gone as well as they should have. Was there any certain points where um, – you know, you saw like burnout in an athlete or there was something that showed you like, hey, are we doing like really the best, most efficient thing for these kids? Or what, like what were some of the times through your career where you realized like that a change might be beneficial? Yeah, my my first year as a head coach in 2011, we, we might have had the best team probably we've ever had. Um, we were very uh, senior heavy and, and uh, it just – our guys were bought in and we were, we were building up a program. Uh, when we took over in 2007, um, it was a program that had only made the playoffs one time um, in the history of the school. And that happened to be when my offensive coordinator was the quarterback. And so we'd finally, after four or five years, we finally had a group and uh, we played the toughest three, eight, we were a one, a school playing these three, a schools. And uh, every Friday night was just a, uh, it was tough and the games were super physical and then we'd bring them back in on Monday and we would condition them. And then on um, Tuesday, we'd hit them full pads. Wednesday, we'd hit them full pads. And then and we finished that year regular season 9-0 somehow. But but our all-state fullback middle linebacker had a rib issue. Our, our honorable mention all-state running back had an ankle inju- issue. We had a couple season-ending injuries throughout the year. And we just had a lot of things that happened. And we I, I wouldn't say we limped into the playoffs, but our guys weren't feeling explosive and lights out and ready to go on a playoff run. And we were just trying to survive, I felt like. Um, and, and it took me a while to realize that that was it. But I, I, I thought back then, um, you know, this is you know, maybe we you know did too much because we, we weren't where we needed to be. And then in 2012, um, you know, we, we started to create some more fun summer competition stuff. Um, and it wasn't such a grind like it had been uh, throughout the summer. We did that for several years, but that was still focused around uh, the training aspect of it. And then we, um, 2013, we lost a tough game in the quarterfinals. We'd, we'd been semifinals in 2012, went to quarterfinals in 2013. Um, and then 2014, we started uh, really focusing on character building and we created um, kind of our freak mentality where we really started to be a little more intentional about talking about character and off the field issues. And uh, we went on a retreat, um, some other things I'm sure I'll get into later. Uh, We ended up going back to the semifinals, you know, so we were feeling pretty good uh, about what we were doing. And then uh, we graduated a lot of seniors and then we had a ton of injuries in 2015. Um, We finished that year five and five losing in the first round. And then 2016, we were, I think seven and three. And then in 2017, we were, 
um, eight and three, we got beat in the second round there. Um, and, and so we kind of needed a spark. We needed something. We'd, we'd been, it's kind of like we'd been at this thing for 12 years or so, and we'd had quite a bit of success, but we, we just needed a spark. And, and that was kind of this speed sprint rest, make rest to priority mentality was just going to be what we felt like maybe that spark we needed. Um, I'd happened to read uh, Tony's, you know, trilogy articles on, on football and feed the cats uh, before that 2017 season, but it was so close to when the season started that uh, I wasn't ready to go all in on it. But by mid season, we were kind of dabbling in it. And then I spent that off season between 2017, and 2018, um, really buying into it because like I said, o- over time, we, I mean, we had, we had been winning quite a few games obviously, and, and we'd making runs to the semifinals, but it just felt like we were getting a little stagnant with what we were doing. And, and maybe it, you know, we were just trying to really press on them because we, we were having some of those seven and three type seasons and we just needed something else. And, you know, lo and behold, in 2018, we do so much less than we've ever done in my 17 years of coaching and we make it to the, the state championship game. So, um, you know, I think that says a lot there. And then, you know, this year we, I mean, we graduated, I think 13 or 14 seniors off that team and nine offensive starters. We came back this year and, uh, had another eight and one season and played a, a three A school in the regular season, real tough. And and we were ahead at halftime and they beat us. And you now then we lost to a, a real good senior dominant team in the second round. Um, played them again, super tough game. Um, they were from a bigger conference and and they were able to beat us in a close game at home. And they went on and lost in the semifinals. And their basketball teams one game away from state. And so. You know, in, in the two years that we've been all in on this mentality, um, you know, I think our record's 21 and four, but our but our injuries are um, essentially zero outside of a few freak, you know, broken hand here, things like that. And, and our guys are happy and excited to come to practice every day. Yes, getting those injuries down is such a key component. I have two brothers that have coached high school football, and usually the biggest issue is like injury to key player or lack of depth due to so many injuries throughout the team. And then the, the the kids get worn down throughout the season, and by the time playoffs come, they're just they're limping through it. And the goal the goal of sports is always like the games and the playoffs and like where you're heading. It's not like how hard we worked or how many hours did we put in. Like none of that is relevant compared to like how did we do as a season, how do we grow as a team, and are we putting our best effort out there? So it's really nice to see that because for some people, eight and two is a really good year. But for you, it wasn't good enough because you knew there was another level that you guys could get to. And you're willing to sacrifice some of your old habits that you had and find some new changes with it. So it's really cool to see, especially in the in the high school head football coach mentality of, you know, this is all the way we've always done it. And you were willing to to risk and, and make some sacrifices to to change your program and definitely for the better. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's another question that I get uh, a lot from people. Um, you know, how am I going to get my administration to buy it? Because most people think, you know, if we're out there practicing for an hour and 45 or if we don't come in on Saturday or or, or we don't take the field on Monday after film that, that uh, we're lazy or, um, you know, we don't care. And it's the exact opposite. We do care. We care so much about uh, how they feel and, and um, you know, whether they love the game or not, that, that we're going to try to figure out what that minimum effective dose is. And, and so for, for programs that are struggling, um, you know, coaches are scared because, you know, if I'm going to, 
if we're already struggling and I'm going to do less and, um, you know, things don't work out, I'm probably going to get fired. And, um, you know, and that's an unfortunate thing because, you know, people see what, what they do in college. They see what, you know, these schedules, these other schools go through and they expect everyone else to try to mimic Alabama or, or the new England Patriots or whoever, because that's what they see on TV. Um, and that could be not farther from the truth. We don't get to recruit, um, you know, we get what we get. Some years we have lots of talent, some years we don't, you know, and so most years, like you said, it's it's one or two injuries away from winning eight games or winning three games at the at the small school level. Um, fortunately for us, you know, what I tell those people is we had bought ourselves some credibility over, you know, 10 years of doing it the other way, but still having success. You know, you, you can win different ways. Um, obviously, if, if there was one offense or one way to train, everyone would do it. Uh, but there's not. It depends on what, who who your kids are and, and what you can get them to believe. But I know for us at the small school with the declining enrollments, with the declining football participation, we need to be different uh, because we're not going to be better than everybody else every year. And I think, you know, if you are Alabama and you cannot recruit everybody, you can do whatever you want. Um, right. But if you're Central High School in, in rural Illinois, uh, I can't recruit. And there's a lot of years we're not going to be as good as teams that we play. So we need to be different. And, and for us, our different is we're going to be a wing T rushing team. Um, we're going to be very heavy play action. We're going to uh, be very disciplined. Um, you know, we're going to be multiple on defense and we're going to do a bunch of weird stuff in our program that keeps kids excited and gets kids out. And we're going to hope that, you know, but because we're non-conventional that, that we can uh, get an edge against the teams that we play, we're going to train to be super fast and we're going to put you in predicaments with our speed. And that's, that's kind of what our mentality is. We, we, if we lined up and went shotgun spread and ran, you know, GT and RPOs and all that, we would be just like the other eight teams that we play every year. And, and I know we couldn't do it as good as them in a lot of cases. And so uh, that, you know, our difference is, you know, those, those, wrinkles that we have and and so for coaches that are are thinking about going to this mentality you have to be able to sell it it can't just be well this is what coach dixon does at central you know you have to have a why well this is why we're not going on the field on monday this is why we're not in full pads on tuesday this is why we don't come in on saturday at the varsity level and you got to have some good evidence of why you believe what you believe and how it's going to benefit you on Friday night or, or things like that. Because if you don't have those, your own whys, then you, you probably aren't going to last if things don't go well, because the first time you, you do a little, you know, you change that this less is more mentality and you lose a game, you know, people are going to say, well, they probably would have won if they had to put full pads on on Tuesday or exactly. if they would have practiced last Saturday or whatever. And because that's kind of our default, you know, everyone always wants to outwork everybody. No one, you know, you get a little bit of the work harder, not sorry, work smarter, not harder. But most people buy into if we do more than everybody else that we play, we will win. And that's not true. Uh, you know, you can work for, you know, if that was the case, then everyone would go four or five hours a night if, if they knew they were going to win. But uh, it's hard to go against, I think. The, the TFC track football consortium thing is, you know, only the dead fish swim with the stream, you know, things that mentality that, that it's hard to go against the norm. But um, I think you got to do your re own research. You got to figure out what you can live with, what your administration can live with, what your fans can live with, what your players can live with. And then you got to come up with with how you're going to um, handle those things, because, you know, people are going to come at you when you're not successful and you got to be able to sell, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. That's that's what I love so much as both from like a former athlete standpoint and from now in 
you know, PT strength conditioning area is with the minim- minimal effective dose stuff. It's like you're still getting good results, but the athletes are like way more, I don't know, they're more happy. They have more energy. They, they enjoy it more. And really that's what it comes down to is even if you got the same results, like obviously you want to always improve, but even if you were eight and three and then you changed to this and you were still eight and three, like it's still a net positive because the athletes are going to get more out of it. They're going to have a more positive relationship with the sport, a more positive relationship with their teammates and their coaches. And they don't view it as like, oh, he's going to go, you know, beat the crap out of me for three hours. It's like they I don't know. I just, I just that's what kind of sticks in my mind is like even if it were the same, which obviously is showing that there's good results and there's um, decreased risk of injury and things like right. that. But even if it was the same, it would be a net positive for the athlete. Yeah, I mean, I, I want my programs um, and my practices to be, and you know, the best in the school and the best part of everyone's day. I want people to be jealous of the fact that my guys are walking off the field after an hour 45. You know, I want the, the volleyball girls to be like, man, I wish we were in the football program. That's awesome. You know, that, you know, they got the coolest equipment, you know, coach does this, that they go on this retreat in the summer. Um, you know, the uniforms are awesome. Like I, I want my kids to feel big time. I've always wanted that. Um, even though we're a small school, we, we try to do as many fun and cool and creative things as we can. You know, so I think some old school coaches would say, well, you know, you're not, you're teaching them to be soft or blah, 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 blah. And I, I want, you know, the the choice to be tough is is that it's a choice for the players to make i don't care how long you practice i don't care you know how many military things that you put them through um kids have to make the choice and for us toughness is we we expect you to show up when we expect you to show up we expect you to perform the way that we want you to and we hold them to high standards i think the other thing people think about a less is more approach that it's like a country club you show up when you want you, you give little effort and that that is so far from the truth um, we just do football. Like we don't, we don't do all the military, uh, Navy SEAL type, you know, we're going to toughen these kids into winning 14 games and we're going to make a man and blah, 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 blah. Making them a man may be as simple as, Hey, you're expected to be here on time or Hey seniors, you know, it's your job to make sure the equipment gets out. You know, it's, it's your job at the end of the day to make sure the locker room's picked up. That's what I think about toughness. Toughness isn't, bear crawling 100 yards because that doesn't carry over to the real world. I know people say, well, that'll make them. No, it's not. You know, toughness might be um, getting them to admit when they're wrong. You know, toughness might be um, going, you know, talking to a teammate that isn't performing as good as they can and having that tough conversation. That's that's toughness, in my opinion, you know, not physical punishment. And I think it's for some, it's so hard to get away from that idea of physical punishment um, because I think that's the only way to toughen them up, even though, you know, I was just looking at a thing that came out on Twitter the other day, a study or a, a report about, you know, how how important the brain is and how this idea of mental toughness is uh, has less value for performance and, and all that stuff. And so we don't we don't do that type of mentality. We we put our kids in in tough situations like we may throw bogus penalties in or we may, you know, say, hey, we, got, we we expect us to convert, you know, three out of these five, you know, third and 15s or whatever in practice. I mean, we put them in situations um, and we talk a lot about stuff, but we don't we don't go out and decide when, you know, on this day, this is going to be the day where we try to give them as much as we can and see who will quit um, because that's just not not what we expect to do. And I know there's programs that do that, that they want to weed out the, the week. Um 
You know, it's hard for a freshman that that maybe has never hit puberty yet uh, to figure out, you know, what they want to do in football. And if you try to weed them out, well, they end up being six foot five, three hundred pounds by their senior year. Uh, <laughs> you wish you wouldn't, have, you know. And so we 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 try to practice as much. Um, you know, when we start the year, we we practice separately. Um, we have our JV guys, our freshmen, sophomores practice at one practice and our varsity practice at another. So as coaches, we actually um, we still do two a days, but our players don't. And we find that to be very valuable because some of these freshmen, this is the first time they've ever played football. And, you know, if, if they're standing on the sideline or, or for whatever reason, they have to go against a senior that's in his fourth year and he's a returning first team all conference. That's not a great experience for that kid. And so when we start the year for the first 10 or so practices until we start school, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's seven. Uh, we practice separately and then we come together for like our group, our individual times and our group times, but we never do team together. And, and we only bring guys up to varsity that are capable of, of doing it. Um, and, and we would like to keep them together at the lower level as much as possible. But, you know, it isn't about trying to toughen a freshman up. They'll, they'll understand what's expected of them as we go. And we talk about our expectations, but, you know, it's not from a physical uh, punishment standpoint. I, I love that is that, yeah, your, your idea of toughness is more like accountability and, you know, knowing your role and like real, real life things. I, I, I'm curious. So like when I was in basketball back in high school, um, if there was a punishment or if you screwed up on a play or turned it over or something like that, the quote unquote punishment was to run killers. Um, I'm curious how you implement, uh, I don't know if you want to call it discipline or, or something like that within your practices, right? So like knowing that having them run a gasser probably isn't going to be the best thing for them to take accountability or for them to get better at football. What do you have them do as their punishment, I guess? Um, I'll give you one funny story. We, we have ran one gasser in the last two years. And, uh, so speak of accountability, we do a, a RPR speed drill warm up, So we don't do that traditional static stretch and, and our guys weren't taking it as serious as they should. And they were kind of messing around. And so I just, you know, the further you get away from the old way of doing things, the more I think the kids take it for granted or they forget. And so, um, I just said, okay, I go, let's get on the sideline. I said, this is what we used to do in practice. We used to waste time in our warm-up, and then we used to waste time at the end. Um, so I'll let you guys decide. And so we ran one gasser, and they were like, no, nah, yeah, we don't want to do this anymore. And I said, <laughs> and like, you know, I just right. – I, it, 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 I guess it was kind of a punishment, but it was more like, guys, we can go back to our old way, and we can be in this disciplinary military punishment model – or we can do it the way that, that we have on our practice plan, the way we expect you to. And they quickly understood that they didn't want any part of that old way. Um, <laughs> but but I, I find a couple different ways. You know, if it's if it's a if it's a missed assignment um, type situation, you know, we try to play as many one way guys as we can. Um, that's part of the selling point of our feed the cats and keeping guys fresh. So we're always rotating guys. So like in a practice, we'll rotate a guy out, and I, I try to have a. You know, and I'm as guilty of, of flying off the handle as anybody. I wish I could stand here and say that everything's all, you know, arm around. But that's where I try to start. I try to say, you know, hey, what's going on? You know, it's like you keep, you know, you, it's like yesterday you didn't didn't seem like you went very hard. You know, today you're just kind of going through the motion. I try to have that conversation with them on the way to practice during, you know, something in school. Or maybe I pull them off to the side, and you know, before they go to water and say, what's going on? Um and so that's where I try to start. And, um, you know, from there, you know, the next thing we do is we just take opportunities away from them. Um, 
You know, I think that's the biggest, in my opinion, punishment that you can give a kid is that you just replace them with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And we always tell our guys, no one's above the team, including the coaches. Um, you know, if, if we don't do what's expected of us, the team will move on with or without you and with or without us. You know, if we don't hold up to our end of the bargain, there will be a team, you know, we may not be coaching it, um, but you're not special in terms of like our team has to have you. And so, you know, we, we, we take opportunities away from them. It might be, you know, we sub them out, out in practice with another guy, uh, make them go play the scout team, or we replace them in the starting lineup, whatever the situation is, um, you know, make them sit. You know, we've, we've had some situations over time, you know, this year we had a few athletic code violations where we had to set three starters for the first three games of the year. And they were three of our toughest games. We were able to win them. And it, it, it it was validity with the fact that, you know, we started the year three and oh, um, missing three key important guys on our team, three seniors that started at the end of the year. Um, now they came back and they still practiced. They did everything we asked of them um, in order to be able to continue to, to be on the team. But we were able to win without them. And, and that we had some guys move positions. We, we started an offensive line the first three weeks that the, the biggest guy was 171 pounds or 178 pounds. Um, and so, you know, I think it's key to tell the guys, hey, you know, this is what we expect of you. If you can't live up to those expectations, we're going to find the guys that can. Um, but then I always say that it's like, I don't want to play 11. I want to play 20. And we try to empower the kids by saying, hey, if you show us that you'll give us effort, we will coach you up enough to find a place for you. If you can down block, we're going to play you at tackle. You know, if you will pull and, and block in space, we're going to get you some time at guard. You know, if, if you will be physical at the line of scrimmage, we're going to work in on the defensive line. You know, and we've been fortunate that even though we've had, you know, I think this year we had 17 juniors and seniors, we still had like six or seven one-way starters which at the, at the small school level is, is crazy. And then we rotated, we rotated guys at tackle. We rotated guys on the defensive line. We rotated guys at linebacker. And so that's what we try to tell them. Hey, if you give us what you got, we're going to find a place for you somewhere and we're going to work you in. Um, And so we try to do the opposite side of that. We try to empower them on the front side of it by saying, if you will give us the effort, if you'll do what we ask, if you're accountable, we will reward you um, by finding a place for you that you can be successful. And then the opposite side of that is, is if you don't live up to those expectations, then we're going to find the next guy that can. And in my opinion, that works so much better than any physical. Now, the coach, you may not feel as good. It doesn't feel as good just to replace a guy with somebody else. Sometimes it feels better to see him running back and forth or bear crawling and all that. I know we've all been there, <laughs> but, uh, but I think when, when the other guys on the team see that, that maybe it is one of the better players on the team got replaced because, you know, he, he didn't do what he was supposed to do in the classroom or something like that, then they may, you know, it makes them think, Hey, you know, if he's willing to do that with him, then, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not in that position. So it's tough. Um, But I don't think physical punishment is ever going to make a kid try harder or um, not make a decision because, um, you know, once the physical punishment's over, then they're, you know, if, if that's the case, then they're right back in there. But, you know, if you take an opportunity away from them, in my opinion, it has a lot more um, just teeth to it than uh, some type of physical punishment. Yeah, two two things you said that really stood out was obviously first one is using more of a reinforcement like, hey, guys, like you're going to get to play if you give us your all and like we'll make it work for you. Um, so more of a positive versus a negative thing. And the other thing that really stood out that you said was understanding the athlete from more of a human standpoint, like you go up to them if they're messing up and you're like, Hey, what's going on? Like 
trying to seek to understand versus just saying, you keep fumbling, you're running, you know, without even understanding like, hey, you know, things at home are really tough or, or something in school happened that was hard today or like understanding them as a person. I'm curious if you've noticed anything as far as your relationships with the players or um, the level of respect between you or anything like that over the course of your coaching career as you've made some of these changes too. Yes. I, and I'm, <laughs> I'm sure like, um, you know, guys that played for us in the past, you know, even when we were successful, um, they probably didn't like us very much. They respect us because we, we never mistreated anybody. Um, but for the, but I was a transactional coach for a long, long time. Um, and I'm still that way from time to time when they, when the heat of the moment, you want those guys to produce and, um, you know, I, we're all human, but, um, you know, when you get into the 3d coaching and you get into the inside out coaching books and, you know, all those things, and they start talking about transformational, um, you know, one of the most transforming things that we do is, is our summer retreat that we go on every other year. Um, so each kid gets it one time in their career, either their junior and senior year, or we don't do anything football based. It's all based around um, team building and, and we have commitment campfires and, and we have times where kids can just share things and we find out stuff about players and, and that, that we wouldn't know otherwise and, and people get things off their chest. Maybe maybe they've had situations in the past and, and they just want to talk about, you know, how, how much they messed up and how much they're going to, you know, work to improve and such and, and there's tears and, you know, those are things that, that we would never have done. We would have came to practice, we'd have practiced if they didn't practice well, we'd have chewed them out at the end and we'd have went home. And, and that's kind of, you know, it takes a long time to, you know, I don't think anyone starts coaching with that. Most of us started because we wanted to keep playing and we couldn't. And, um, you know, I think it takes years and years and years to understand that, that there's probably a reason that so-and-so is not producing out there and it's probably has nothing to do with football. And so we've got to try to figure out what that is. Um, you know, it might take, you know, an athlete that, this year that, uh, you know, it took me sometimes going to his house and picking him up, giving him a ride, buying him pizza. So he'd come out and, and get his schoolwork done and just stuff like that. Um, you know, that I would have never done in the past. I would have just said, Hey, you either do this or you're not playing, but, uh, you know, he needed it and, um, he needed just another positive role model in his life and, and not, not while on the football field. Um, but I feel like, you know, whenever our season ends, you know, our, our players truly feel like it, it, it is one of the best experience they ever had. And, and uh, we get a lot, you know, and it, it's it might be text message. You get some players that, that will verbalize it, but a lot of them don't know how to verbalize it. So I've got so many messages saved on my phone of what kids have sent me after, you know, even after our state final. We got our butts kicked in that state final game two years ago. I think it's 44 to six um, just didn't play well and they were really good and, and kind of snowballed. But almost every senior before I even got home. Um, or that night or the next day sent me a, a long, long message about how much fun they had and how much they're going to miss it and, and where they would be if it wasn't for football and da 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 and, and I forwarded to my coaches and said, you know, yesterday sucked. You know, we got our bus kicked, but but this is what's really important. And, uh, you know, I think any time that, that you get those kids that stick it out four years and, and they thank you at the end and, and then they invite you to their wedding and, and things like that. And they keep in touch. Um, I try to pick a few kids each, you know, every few weeks and send them a text, how you're doing stuff like that. Um, I don't do it as much as I should, but, 
you know, I'll, I'll run across the name or, or someone will say something and it'll trigger me to say, Hey, I need to shoot that guy a message. And, um, you know, so I try to do all those things as much as I can. And I think that's more important than obviously the wins or losses, but just like any other coach, you know, we get so wrapped up a lot of times in the season and game plan and wins and losses that we struggle in this area. Um, and so I'm just like everybody else, but I try to be more intentional and our coaches do uh, way more than we ever did in the past. I'm really glad you brought up the football retreat that you guys do because when I was in high school and my three brothers, we all played football for Rosemount and over the course of seven years, we went to four different retreats. So every other year, the varsity team would go on a retreat and every other year we would go to the state tournament. So maybe it was a coincidence, maybe not, <laughs> but something that is, it, it is, it is. And it became a thing where after like the third one, it's like, oh, it's a retreat year. It's going to be a good year. And something yeah. that's not related to X's and O's or putting the pads on can have such a profound impact, not only on how the season goes, but on how the staff bonds with the kids, how the kids interact with each other, forming relationships outside of, you know, just the field that like takes so much more for a team to, to, to go through and experience. But it, it just, it, like you said, it transforms them. And it, it allows them to take something after the sport's done in, into their life. Well, and, and dude, that's what matters is it's like when you think back, obviously you're going to remember certain plays and certain games and things like that. But when I think back to basketball, like the things that stick with you emotionally are like after our state tournament victory, when we were in the locker room and we were like throwing chairs around and we were all excited and everything like that, or, you know, different, different events like that. It's like the relationships with your teammates and with your coaches and just, that is the most important thing that's going to stick with these people way after their playing days are done. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always ask the kids, um, you know, what was your JV record last year? What was your record your freshman year? What was your record in eighth grade? You may get like one kid that kind of knows, but most of them have no idea. And I go, right. exactly. It, do, it doesn't matter. You're going to forget that. But, you know, we had a, one of our funny memories that, that uh, we have a senior that's going on. He's a big nose guard. Um, he's going on to play Division II college ball. He's going to graduate um, this year. But his freshman year, um, he got in. And so we have a, uh, like a varsity bus and a lower level bus. So we take the games. I dress everybody because we, you know, we've got somewhere between 50 and 60 players. And I want everyone to experience, as long as they earn it, to experience, you know, road trips to these places because we only play there every other year. So if we play on the road their freshman year, and they're not with us, it might be their junior year before they dress in their locker room and know what their fans are like and such. So we bring everybody. So this freshman made some huge plays in the games, a big lineman is, you know, and uh, so I get on the varsity bus and, and I'm taking roll and I go, Hey, I, his name was, it was Remington. I said, I'm going to go have Remington get on this bus. I said, but when he gets on, I, I don't want anyone to say a word. I want you to act like he doesn't even exist. So I go <laughs> And uh, I go to the next bus and I get on the JV bus. And I'm going through the attendance. And I think they'd already been talking about, they're like, Remy, you're, I think you're going to ride home on the varsity bus. He had like a couple big sacks and, you know, and so I'm like, Remy, I go, get on the varsity bus. And he jumps up and he almost falls down the stairs of the bus <laughs> jump, and he's all excited. And he's run up there and he's all smiles. He gets on the varsity bus and it's stone silence. 
he expected like a big, you know, and he walks down there and you could, and I wasn't on there, but the kids are like, he, and then finally they start, they mob him and start cheering and all that. But it was like, like, we'll never forget that memory. That's one of the best memory. And it had nothing to do with what he did on the field. It was just all this, you know, stuff that we did off the field. And, uh, you know, we still joke around about it and, and it, it was just an awesome memory. Um, and those are the types of things that, that that retreat's all about, you know, and we're getting ready to go on one again this year. Um, and I actually, when you guys were talking about being from Minnesota, um, that's where I got the idea was the, the longtime coach. I think he just retired from Minnetonka. I can't remember what his name is, but I heard him talk at uh, the AFCA convention in Indianapolis back in 2014. I thought it was the best thing ever. And, and that's the first year we did it. Um, but, you know, we, when we're there, uh, we don't bring a football. Um, you know, we, we do all kinds of competitions and games and high ropes course and all that stuff. Um, we may talk about some some standards that we want to set for ourselves off the field, on the field, you know, in school, things like that. But that's as close as it gets to anything football. And it's really not not football. We don't X and O's. We don't go to a team camp, you know, which I don't, those aren't bad. Um, but I can do that in my own school. If I'm going to take my kids away, I want them to, to have fun and I want them to get away from football. But we take their cell phones, too, which is a pretty cool thing. Um, because they go about two and a half days without access to anything, uh, any internet or any phone calls or anything like that. No Snapchats, um, which the kids actually like, um, when, when, uh, we give them back to them, they're like, it was actually pretty nice to not have to worry about that thing. Um, so it, it is just, we're, we're, uh, we're totally off the, you know, we're, we're locked in, not locked in, but we're just off the beaten path where we're at, um, down in Carlinville, Illinois. And, um, you know, it's all about just the 25 or so guys that we have down there. And, and, um, it, I, I always think it's one of the best weekends of, that we ever do in football. You, you make me want to go back in time and play high school <laughs> football for you. I, I, I seriously, I think you probably have somebody from your 2011 team who's going to listen to this and wish that they were playing for your squad right now. Um, oh, but a- absolutely. <laughs> you one, know, one... coach Holler always talks about sometimes dumb beats dumber. And we did that for a long time. (laughs) Sometimes we weren't as dumb as the teams we were playing, maybe, or we just had better athletes. But I know it wasn't. It wasn't because we were always training them the right way. I know that. Yeah. One one thing you brought up with uh, talking about the social media on the retreats and everything. I'm curious if you've noticed anything over the past, you know, nine plus years of um, how you connect with your athletes or how you relate to them. Like, do you see that evolving and changing? Yeah, we uh, like um, I post a lot of things on Twitter. I mean, I use Twitter a lot. I don't really I mean, I have Instagram and Facebook, but I don't use them very much. Um, But I like to um, put accomplishments on Twitter. Um, I like to uh, put improvements on there. You know, I I don't always want it to be the best five or, um, you know, the the guy that that ran, you know, we had an all state running back and and after we announced the all-state running back, and then I we had a great picture of our offensive line in the huddle, um, black and white, and I took it and put it on there and say, you know, all-state um, offensive line, you know, and, and and just trying to honor those guys. We honor um, like guys that are improving speed. You know, you might have a guy that that ran a a seven oh forty of his freshman year, and now he's running a five five. That's a huge improvement. You know, he he's never going to run a four five. But him, him gaining that much, and so we'll, I'll take a picture of his and I'll put it on Twitter and and show what he did as June of his freshman year, and then what he did, you know, at the start of his sophomore year, and then just to show his improvement. I think that's key. 
Um, the kids enjoy that. They enjoy, you know, just some of that praise. Um, and, and it's, it just is what it is. Um, the parents enjoy it. You know, part of what we do is also selling stuff to our parents and, um, you know, anytime they can see their kids doing fun stuff on, on, you know, Twitter or whatever. Um, and I just tell them, if you don't, you know, if you don't want to follow anybody else, you can follow our football uh, page or our track page on Twitter and you can just hit a little notification and whenever that pops up and so you don't have to follow anything else. And um, so I, I try to be um, on there a lot and sharing things that our kids do. And, and we did a um, like a top five games of the decade, um, which was kind of cool. We went back through as coaches and kind of talked through. Uh, what we thought and so we put some huddle clips up there and we did that we did that right before the the new year and then we had like an honorable mention list and so we got to go back and so some of our local media guys were commenting on you know how awesome these games were and so th that was a cool thing so um you know i i guess i bought into um you know just the whole like recognizing kids and and um making sure that that your program um, you know, looks good from the outside and, and that, um, you know, people are envious of what you're doing because, um, you know, how, how you're promoting the kids. And I think, you know, it goes a long ways to making them, you know, feel that you care about them because, you know, you can care about them and, and create great relationships with them one-on-one, -on -one, but they like to have some of the, you know, they're a social media group of kids and they want to see their stuff out there. And, and so we try to promote them as much as we can. Do you have any issues with like specifically cell phones, like in the weight room or at track meets or on the team bus, anything like that? Have you noticed any like issues with that? Or do you, have you set a standard where your kids are pretty good with all that? And it's really not something that you guys have to deal with. Um, well, we, we have a school policy that, that the kids don't have their phones, um, during the day except for lunchtime um so that kind of takes care of the weight room side of things through the school year um they know not to they, they bring their phone with them like to summer weights but then they leave it in the gym so i don't think in all my years of doing summer weights i've ever seen that um you know they don't bring it out to football practice um they do have them on the bus um you know sometimes we may tell them you know a lot of them use it for music you know so they'll put their right. headphones in if it's a big issue or we don't feel like we're focused we may have them put them away for you know the last 30 minutes or whatever mm -hmm. um but we haven't had a lot of issues with that really track you know you've got to tell them if you're back at the, the home base tent and you need to but like our expectation is that you're either competing or you're out helping you know you're picking up someone else's sweats at the starting line you know, because they just ran the 200 or you're warming up with somebody that's running a 400 because, you know, they're, they're running it by themselves or whatever, you know, so we try to communicate, um, you know, and I guess if it is an issue, like, you know, I'll say, Hey, like we've had some kids that, that's, that want to go to a meet and then hang out with the uh, opposing team. They got a couple of buddies on the, you know, and I say, Hey, we don't want to be jerks, but you know, we just simply say, Hey, this, you know, this is a team sport too. And we, you know, I, I'll talk to you, but I want to spend time with my team. And, and so, um, you know, we tell them what our expectations are, but, um, I don't get a lot of issues with, um, you know, people, I think they understand that when it's practice and, and that's what you, when you don't have them waste time doing things that aren't necessary, I think they value practice more. You like in track, if our sprinters know that they're going to be done in 45 minutes, I think they're going to give me that good 45 minutes. Um, you know, if I had, if I had them there for an hour and a half, I think, yeah, I'd have to fight a lot of those things. Same thing in football, right. you know, we're in and out. We try to be in and out 
by five, five ten at the latest. Um, you know, we don't keep them till six o'clock. And so, I mean, that's, I think that's also, you know, when kids get distracted is because they're probably, you're probably trying to fill practice, you know, more like a babysitter than you are actually just what you need to get done. And so, you know, we try to focus on what we need to get done. I always tell them like in football, Guys, our practice plan is is like a rolling track schedule. If we if we get done with this in eight minutes and we had ten schedule and we feel good about it, we're gonna roll on to the next thing. So if we get stuff done by four forty five and we feel good about it and it practices, you know, there's energy and things are going well, then we'll get out of here, guys. This is what we have planned. We don't no one told us we had to be here till five. No one said we had to be here till five fifteen. We have these things planned and we're gonna roll through them as if, you know, when we feel good about it. So let's let's make sure we have a good one today. And I you know, I say stuff like that all the time. Yeah, and I think by you being respectful of their time, they're gonna be respectful in giving it their all. So that's yeah, that efficiency is absolutely key. Um let's get into the the nitty gritty a little bit more since you alluded to um your football practices. So a lot of the listeners would have heard our episode with Tony Holler a couple back on feed the cats and kind of understand that in the track and field um, scheme. But talk about how you've adopted that for football and what that looks like throughout the week. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we try to take the same um, game night as is what we're building towards. It's not for a Wednesday practice. It's not for a Tuesday practice. Um, so we want everything to build towards Friday night for us. That's, that's when we play our games until we get in the playoffs on Saturday. Um, and, and so we bought into the, the sprint rest mentality for football, um, not the long, drawn-out conditioning, you know, three-hour practices, carry yourself off the field type mentality. And so, uh, you know, let's say if our week starts on Saturday, the day after a game, uh, we give our varsity guys the whole weekend off. Um, and we give our coaches the weekend off from meeting. We all have jobs that we do um, using Google and Huddle to make sure that our game plan and stuff sound. We share things through Huddle Messenger clips. You know, we'll message our players through that pretty neat little app where you can say, hey, go watch, you know, plays 62 and 78 and 81. You, you know, you're using the wrong technique on these, play, you know, the same thing three times here. Take a look at it. Um, so we use that. So it gives them kind of a time period to recover, you know, just like so in track. Um, you can't expect – we we didn't always used to be this way. We used to practice on Friday, and then we bring our kids in on Saturday morning. Um, and we did that for a long time. Sometimes we conditioned. Sometimes we lifted. You know, the, over the last few years, we just did film. But even that, if I'm getting them up at 8 o'clock and we played on the road and we got home at midnight, we're already putting ourselves behind in our recovery by doing that. So we give them that weekend off to kind of refresh, and then we come back on Monday – uh, Monday is a, a sprint day for us. And so um, most of our team outside of sometimes a handful because of scheduling or whatever are in my class. So we sprint in there, you know, might be three tens, it might be three 40 yard dashes or something. So for those that are in my class, that's their sprint work for the day. And then we watch our film, we do our film work, offense, defense, special teams, uh, put our game plans in. And then we try to be done by 4:45, five at the latest with those kids. And uh, we don't take the field. Anybody that wasn't in my class, they do their sprint work after the after the film's over. And then we go home on Monday. So we've now went Saturday, Sunday, Monday without pads on. Uh, our lower level, our fresh soft plays on Monday night. So they have a game. And we try to go to that as coaches. Um, as, you know, we only have four usually. So our JV coaches obviously go. And then uh, myself and the, the offensive coordinator, we go as long as it's not two or three hours away. 
we have a few long road trips, but, um, and then we come back on Tuesday and that's what we call just a non-sprint day. So that's a day where, you know, we're going to do football stuff. We're going to crowd more plays together. Um, but we're not going to line it up and do full speed stuff. Um, so we, uh, we don't even wear pads. So we're just in helmets that day. Um, and by our, by our association rule, our lower level kids cannot be in pads the day after a game anyway. So it, this was an easy transition for us. So our fresh soft who would have played on Monday night, they're only in helmets too on Tuesday. So we actually use uh, hand shields and bags for blocking drills and for team stuff. And, um, you know, we just try to focus on game plan stuff, technique stuff, form tackling, you know, all those types of things. On that Tuesday, we'll work special teams. We might work a takeaway circuit, stuff like that. And then on Wednesdays, our full pad day, we call that another sprint day where we start that that practice with a sprint period of some kind. Uh, might be a special team sprint period. It might be a um, individual group sprint sprint period. Maybe the running backs are doing a, um, a a running back you know drill. Maybe we're working on our sweep or our rocket tosses or or whatever we are, or, or we're working on our wheel pass or something, and we'll. We'll throw and catch and run, and we usually try to time them, just time them from a distance. Who's our fastest guy getting to the edge, stuff like that. Um, and then the linemen do timed pulls, and they do timed reaches on the backside and that, that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, that's our day where we'll, we'll go live for a little bit. Uh, we never take anybody to the ground. But, um, you know, we try to shorten the amount of reps that we get, and we just try to make them more meaningful and more intense on that day. And then on Thursday, we have our traditional just – pre-game practice where we have a whole list of things like like I said that rolling track schedule you know we're gonna go through all our special teams we're gonna go through our two minute we're gonna work on our third and longs we're gonna talk about any crazy things that they have in you know all those different things and and real short team periods um and then Friday uh, we're ready to play and, and we repeat that and so our kids are only in uh, full pads on Wednesdays and uh fridays and then um you know the rest of that time we're, we're trying to get them to recover and get ready again to go back on that next friday and um you know so we, in our practices we just do football stuff we don't flip tires we don't bear crawl we focus on getting really good at our techniques and figuring out what our kids can do best because you know we got kids of all sizes we have six foot 155 pound linemen and we have six two you know sometimes 300 pound linemen and so we got to figure out what what each person does best and what we can do best as a team and that's what we try to focus on in practice and um, you know we we cut out all the other things that that are just kind of filler and um, we give our kids time to rest on those sprint days we may go hard for five or ten minutes in, in a period and we'll give them five minutes of water sometimes if it's been real tough we might give them ten so that we can come back for the next practice and that, that's kind of what our focus has been it's really reduced our injuries um, you know which at that small school level is going to help us be successful because, um, you know, like I said, one or two injuries are, are a huge game changer for you at the small school. My cousins had three a days. They're the same age as me. So about 10 years ago, they had three a days at three, two hour practices at the beginning of the year. And I was like, Oh man, that's hot. Like they must really be getting after it and, and doing really well. And I always thought that was like the coolest thing, like more is better. But now when I see your practice schedule, it just makes me want to play high school football again, mm -hmm. where it's like, you are optimizing performance with your sprint work. You're getting your rest. But then when it's time to get after it and get the things in, you do need to get in for the week. You're just getting after it. You're being efficient. You're being smart. And then you're peaking each game and towards the ends of the season. And you're not trying to beat them up every day. So it's just amazing to see how much can change 
from different philosophies and what you've implemented at Central High School? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, obviously you can't win every game. And, and you know, sometimes the things happen, um, turnovers, stuff like that. Um, most people think it's a toughness factor, though, why you get beat. Well, we just weren't tough enough. We weren't physical enough. Sometimes the other team's better. Um, sometimes you had a bad turnover in the red zone. Sometimes, you know, I think back to our first game, it was a battle. We, we won it 20 to six, um, against a team that ended up going eight and one and, and going to the second round of the playoffs. And one of their scores, we fumbled on like on our own five yard line. And, you know, that's, that, that's bad. And, uh, fortunately we, we were able to hold them out besides that score. Um, but that game could have went different. And it wasn't that that we weren't physical enough. It was the fact that, you know, we made a mistake. And so we try to practice so that we limit those mistakes and spend more time on ball security, you know, full speed reps, handoffs, that type of stuff, as opposed to, you know, all of these stations and all these other things that, um, you know, are probably not going to make us any better or that aren't going to make us any better. And I think that's that's where people – you know, people think if you make mistakes, it's because you weren't in shape or you weren't physical enough when it's probably you just whoever did it have the right technique or, um, you know, they just weren't able to do the job quite yet. Or sometimes, you know, the defense makes a great play. Some, you know, we had a situation in our second round game um, where we were down one score and, and we called a play action pass. And uh, they had a safety that had like six or eight interceptions on the year. And we threw a corner route and he went from the middle of the field and undercut it and made a great play. It was a phenomenal play. And uh, that happens. And he got the interception. If we catch it and score, it's a tie ball game and the game might be different. Um, do I think if we would have ran three gassers throughout the week, the game would have changed? I don't think so. <laughs> um, and and I, we can live with that. I mean, we're not going to win every game and we understand that, but we dressed our entire roster Um and, and I guess we had one junior, sorry, one sophomore that broke his hand in week nine late in the game, which just got stepped on or something, which happens too. But from a, a, a soft tissue injury, we haven't had ACLs, Achilles, you know, labrums, any of that stuff over the last two and a half years. And, and um, you know, we're, we're able to take the field with the majority of our roster, if not all our roster. In the state championship game, we did dress our entire roster um, two years ago, which is pretty crazy to be in really week 14 of the season, but really week 16, if you count the, the times of practice. So, uh, you know, that's, that's what we believe in. Um, we don't preach that this is going to guarantee that you're going to win, but we do preach that it, I, that I do believe that it's going to increase your numbers. It's going to increase the, the dopamine levels of your players because they're going to be more, more excited to come to practice. Uh, it's going to make it fun. You know, their memories are going to be, um, of, of football and not, you know, the, the physical, uh, punishments that they got and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's, one thing that you mentioned that I'm uh, curious about. So you said you never take anyone to the ground. Is that just during the season or does that include like preseason stuff too? Yeah, we don't, we, uh, we don't ever tackle anybody to the ground. Um, the closest thing that we would do is uh, we'll work on a very uh, simple um, like hawk tackle where we tackle and roll. And so we may have, you know, two players kind of walking and we'll show how we fit and how we roll together but we're never we're never going live on tackling. We we work more on our tracking drills. Um, something that we got from a really good program here. That's won I think eight out of the last ten public school um, championships. Rochester, um, 
but but on tracking, getting yourself in the right position to make a tackle is as important as making the tackle. And so we focus a ton on those tracking drills. And then we focus on, you know, giving kids the tools, getting the head out of the tackle. If they're a five, five, 130 pound defensive back, uh, we probably can't teach him to tackle the same way we can our six foot, you know, 175 pound middle linebacker. So we've got to try to find those tools. And we use, we got the tackle wheels, you know, we've got bags, we thud, we have quick whistles, you know, we ask them to wrap up, um, but we have quick whistles and all that stuff. But yeah, we, the only time we we do, I guess, is our scrimmage, and then we have a quick whistle there. We do have a, an inter-squad scrimmage on the on the second Friday of the season right before we're getting ready to play. Um, but we have quick, quick, real quick whistles, but, um, you know, guys will tackle there and that. But that that's the only time throughout the whole year, and we've done that for probably the last, like I said, this came in stages, so maybe the last six, eight years, um, maybe even more than that, that we haven't taken people to the ground. or Or, you know, I know at least in the last – six years we haven't done the Oklahoma drill or like we put pads on on that first day and it's not like we bring the whole community out and we see who can kill who. Um, I know some schools still do that and that's fine. But if I lose my starting quarterback on the first day of hitting for the rest of the year, because he separated his shoulder in Oklahoma drill, I'm dumb because (laughs) uh, we needed him to play. And so we don't, we don't do all that. Most of that is horrible tackling for him anyway. And, um, or all of it is probably, or hamburger drill or whatever used to do when I was in school. So we don't do any of that stuff. Um, we don't do anything special on those days other than teach, continue to teach them how to tackle properly and and teach them how to track. And so, you know, it's, it's worked for us. You know, everyone misses tackles. I mean, that's part of the game. Um, you try to limit on the amount those, those do we teach the back hip, um, you know, but we've been a very good defense for, for a lot of years and, um, really limited, Guys, even the the Athens team that we played, I think they had almost 600 rushing yards, 550 rushing yards in their first round game, um, and they had 200 against us on 50 carries, and it was just a battle. It was four yards a pop, and it was a lot of hard hitting. And uh, you know, I think their biggest gain on the run game was maybe like 16 yards the whole game or something like that. Um, you know, and they had reeled off. You know, they had rolled everybody um, up to that point. So, um, you know. You don't have to beat the heck out of them. I would rather have them, I think, as Tony says, you know, 80% in shape and 100% healthy as opposed to 100% in shape and 80% healthy because that 20% makes a huge difference. Uh, We're both physical therapists, and we absolutely agree that that ratio sounds way better to us as well. When you're talking to other coaches or parents or kids or, or anybody from that nature, do you get arguments that it's better for these kids to be better conditioned then faster where it's like they value conditioning over speed, whether that's in football or other sports at your school, like basketball, you know, lacrosse, hockey, whatever other sports you guys have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everyone says, well, what about the fourth quarter? Well, you know, there's a couple, couple of ways to think of it. Um, You know, like in our first round playoff game, uh, we were ahead 40 to zero in the first half in the second quarter. And we actually took a knee right before half. So uh, our starters didn't play the fourth quarter um, because we were fast and explosive and lights out in that first half. Um, And then the second part of that is so then in game the second game, you know, when we're in a battle, we battled all the way the fourth quarter and the game was was tied all the way through. And, um, you know, we we survived and we had everyone finish that game. Um, But that the idea of of, and Tony talks about a lot speed reserve. Um, If I'm faster in the first quarter. 
uh, I'll be faster in the fourth quarter. I won't be as fast as I was in the first quarter, but I will still be faster. If I can run 21 miles an hour completely fresh, then I can be 18 miles an hour in the game. Or I can, you know, but if my fastest speed is 18 miles an hour by the fourth quarter, I'm going to be really slow. Um, and so that's kind of what we believe. And uh, we believe that you can get in, you know, even when we used to condition a lot, we still used to complain that game one, we still weren't in shape, no matter what we did in practice, because it, it still didn't mimic what we needed. You know, a gasser, a bear crawl, a 300 yard shuttle did not mimic the, that repeated effect of playing in the game, you know, so. Now we try to crowd those plays together. We try to do no huddle stuff from time to time. We, we try to make them go fast and, you know, and just we try to make it game like in that respect. If, if we want to do that and we just try to crowd those five or six second plays together a little bit more. Um, and then we let the games kind of take care of themselves. Um, we rotate as well, because no matter how you shake it at the small school level, like I said, we don't get to recruit, so we don't get these freaks that are 6'4", 260 pounds with 10% body fat. You know, we might get 5'11", 280 pounds with 38% body fat. Um, so it's dumb for us if we expect that kid to play all four quarters of the game, both sides of the ball, and it wouldn't matter how much conditioning we did. So we figure out where is he best. Well, he might be best as a nose guard. So we're going to play him there, and we're not going to play him on the offensive line unless we need him. And then we're still going to try to rotate him out depending on the game plan, depending on the situation. So that we make sure we've got the freshest guys in at that time, you know, the same way you would sub in basketball and stuff like that. Sometimes I think in football, we all want to be Iron Man and we want to find the best 11, which is fine. You know, I, I'll agree your best 11 at the start of the game are your best 11. But if they're, if they're the same 11 playing in the third quarter, I would argue that you probably got five or six people on the sideline that are now better than the guy that's been playing for three straight quarters, both sides of the ball. And now in that third quarter, your best 11 aren't the same dudes that started the game. And so we try to figure out how we can do all of that and, and rotate those kids in and be very intentional on playing as many players as we can on our team. We, we, and we try to strive for 20 or so that can actually help us. Absolutely. And like you said, if the game is on the line and the ball's on the goal line, it's not going to matter which team ran the most gassers over the course of the season that's going to make the play. Right. And, and, and when it's, when it's time, our, our guys are in there, but you know, if our, if our all stater who had maybe a hundred carries on the year and through 10 games, if he goes on a 50 yard run, you know, we're going to sub him out for a few plays. We're going to get another guy in there. And then, but, but if it's now fourth and two, he's going to, if he's our best guy and we want to get the ball, we're going to get him back in the game, you know, but we, we try to figure out, okay, here's what these other guys can do. Well, this guy's not him. He's a sophomore. What can he do? Well, he can catch and play action. He can fake, he can do all these other things. And so, you know, one of the, the things that I did for a long time in my career was just think about what they can't do. You know, well, this guy's not very, you know, he doesn't block well. This guy doesn't, you know, he doesn't cut very well, blah, blah, blah. Okay. We understand that. Let's not make him do that. Then we know we can't, we know we can't put this kid in and expect him to block a linebacker one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. So what can he do? We can throw it to him in the flat. He's really good in space. Okay. Well, let's call a play when he's in the game that maximizes his potential as opposed to, trying to call the game the same way, no matter who you put in the game, because then we get frustrated because we put this kid in, we ask him to run and do something that he can't do. And then he doesn't do it. And then we get mad. And then we put the starter back in because, ah, oh, these guys just can't, can't do it. Well, yeah, you already knew that. Why are you putting him in there to do something you already know he can't do? Well, what can he do? So uh, in our offensive coordinator created segments on our, on our call sheet 
when we had certain subs in the game, what, what did our playbook, what should it look like? You know, these plays are really good for this kid. These plays are really good for this kid. You know, these two kids, we can run our whole playbook because they're good. They can block, they can run, they can catch, but other kids have limitations. So we've got to maximize what they can do. And that helps us to get guys out because, you know, I haven't done all the studies and all this stuff, but I would imagine most injuries happen or a majority of them happen in situations where kids are tired, they're in, in some type of compensation pattern. And, you know, if you just keep going and going and going and going, eventually something is going to break. And so we just feel like if we can get them out, get them to recover a little bit, that, that, that we can heavily reduce their chance of injury. And that ties in perfectly to the blog that you wrote where you're talking about cooking versus just getting the recipe. So you have all these kind of rules and guidelines and standards that you run your program by, but each individual scenario in the game, it's all about the context. So maybe the kid just had a 50 yard run, but then it's like first and goal and the clock's running down. You're going to keep them in the game versus if it's, you know, a 50 yard run and it's the first quarter and you have other guys that can come in, that's where you can respond to the situation, the context of it and, and subbing guys in and out and things like that where that makes you a great coach and not just someone who just reads a sheet. It's like, Oh, it's first and 10. We have to do this because that's what it says. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, we, we even tried to be like with practice, um, because we're not, you know, people want to run all these live team plays and all this stuff. Um, you know, when we're at a small school, obviously our scout team is not very good because we just don't have enough guys. Um, so we'll sacrifice our, the, the talent of our scout team in order to get our realistic game time. Like, you know, if we're scripting our first plays and we know, you know, we're going to run these plays and then this guy's going to sub in and we're going to run these plays and these two guys are going to sub in, we'll have them standing over there ready to go. And we'll run through that same scenario. So like if our fullback knows on play three, he's in the game. So we'll have him over there and ready. And, And yes, does that, you know, are we getting the best scout team look? no. Do I value how good our scout team is? Not really. You know, obviously, if they can be in the right spot and all that stuff, it's better. But but not at the detriment of us not being ready to go on our, you know, our defense or our offense. And so, you know, we, we, we try to be very intentional with how we are subbing and when we're subbing and make sure our kids know, like, get, you know, you need to be by our offense coordinator because, you know, like, you're going to go in. Um, if that first play, like I said, goes 70 yards down the sideline, He's coming out, and, and we're getting another wing back in there. And um, it keeps our kids in the game. They know it's not like, okay, I'm only going in if if this dude's leg completely falls off or something like that. Um, right. And so it keeps them involved in the game plan because they know they're going to play. We try to spread the well. You know, if we can give the ball to eight different ball carriers each game, number one, we're a lot less predictable. And number two, uh, just the wear and tear on our guys is, is so much less in that regard. Um, you know, so we try to spread the wealth out as much as we can. So, you know, we, we're fortunate that, that we, I guess we've got some credibility and and we've had some success, but, but our numbers from like a yardage standpoint, um, are never that great because we, you know, we get guys right around a thousand yards, but we might have a thousand yard back, a 900 yard back, a 700 yard back, a 400 yard back. But if you look at our yards per carry, like our all stater averaged 11.3 times every, every time he touched the ball, um, he only had a hundred carries or whatever he had, but, but each time he touched it was 11.3. So yeah, you might have a back in the eye that's carrying it 42 times is getting 260 yards a game. Well, he should, if he's carrying it 42 times a game. Um, but how's that going to, you know, hopefully he holds up, 
But I would say by the end of the year, that guy's not going to have the same pop he had at the beginning of the year. Do you sub in and at quarterback like you do your other positions as much? Or do you, is your quarterback kind of your one consistent where you don't really change throughout the game because you need that consistent consistency there? Um, yes and no. So in, in 2017, we did sub some. Um, in 2018, when we went all in on Feed the Cats, um, this is a great story um, for, for trying to think outside the box. Um, our quarterback was a three-year returning starter at linebacker. So the last probably four or five games of his freshman year, he started um, at inside linebacker. His sophomore year, he started inside linebacker. And then his junior year, he started both ways. And he was kind of beat up some because he was playing inside linebacker. And so we, we actually had another senior that was rotating in a quarterback. When it came to his senior year, he was so valuable at quarterback that we decided we were going to play him at quarterback. And we had a junior linebacker that was coming up through that is now was a senior this year and is going to graduate. Um, we decided that we were going to play, you know, try to play him as the starter. You know, obviously this quarterback would still get reps and he would still be ready. And so in our state championship uh, runner up season, our, our returning three year starting linebacker played like eight defensive reps the whole year. And he played quarterback and he threw in our offense. When you throw for 1500 yards, that's like throwing for 4,000 because we also ran for about 5,000. Um, and we just played him at quarterback because we knew that he would be so much better. He would be less apt to get hurt and he would be so much more focused. And, and he was uh, above and away the, the better quarterback option than we had on our roster. But on the defensive side, we had other guys that maybe weren't quite as good as he was if we went one-on-one -on -one fresh at the start of the game. But we knew as the season wore on and as the games wore on, we'd be way better off playing our junior there than the senior that we were playing at quarterback. And, and so most people would have never take a returning all-conference linebacker and, and play him one way. But, you know, we did it and uh, worked out great. And they, and they both stayed healthy throughout the whole year. And, and uh, he had a phenomenal, you know, one of the best years out of any quarterback we've ever had. Do you feel like when you did that as well, that even so let's say someone argues like, oh, he should have played both ways, but then he gets hurt the second game. Then there, there's really no benefit. Now you lose him the entire year instead of limiting him to one side of the ball. Um, do you get a lot of pushback, whether from from parents or coaches or athletes like they want to play more than they do? Uh, at the beginning of our 2018 season, because we had another lineman two way starter uh, his junior year that we played one way. Um, at the beginning, yes, they, they, you could like, they wanted to be out there. Cause that was kind of what we were about. I, I, we even probably preached that for a long time. You know, you should want to be on the field all the time, blah, blah, blah. But as the, as the season wore on and we were winning, we were winning big. Um, we were making big plays. Our guys just started to say like feeling better because they were playing one side. And, um, you know, and, and everyone was feeling more a part of it because in our year that, that we went to the state championship game, um, we we started none of our linemen both ways. So we had five new offensive linemen. We were a three-down team. We had three new defensive linemen. I think we only had like three and a half. We had one guy that rotated fullback. We only had three guys that actually started both ways, and we would even rotate them in on offense. Um, and so it just – we had, you know, 22, 23 guys we were playing, which is at the small school level is phenomenal. And we were able to kind of wear teams out that way. But our kids um, understood it and they were thankful as the season wore on. And we were very, you know, we told them, hey, guys, this is what this is why we're doing this. And that's what I mean by selling. And that's the how to cook thing. It's like, you know, this is what we do at Central. Um, it can't be what you do at your school. Now, you can take bits and pieces 
but take what you like, what you don't like, figure out what you can handle. Cause some coaches can't handle putting a sub in, um, in a certain position and maybe he misses the block or something like that. They just can't handle that. Um, and so, you know, what can you handle? Well, I know I can't sub them in these spots. Okay. We'll figure out what you can do. Maybe you get them off special teams, you know, whatever it is. Some people may say, well, I got to have them on offense. I got to have them on defense. Okay. Get them off the kickoff team, get them off kick return, all that kind of stuff. Figure out somebody else on the punt team, you know, find ways to, to make it work for your program. Um, you know, and, and that's what you have to do. Otherwise you're not going to buy into it. If you're trying to do what I'm doing or Tony's doing or whoever's doing, because, you know, we've arrived at what we're doing because, you know, we always tell the kids, somebody either showed us a better way. Our way didn't work. You know, we got our butts kicked doing it some way. Like this is not like we just sat down one day and just started creating all this stuff in our program. We've came to all this stuff through experiences, most of them being bad experiences in some fashion. Um, and that's why we do it. So when we tell you to do it a certain way, it's not because we probably created it. It's because someone forced us to do it this way. And that's why we try to sell it to our kids. That's absolutely critical, even outside of just the scope of coaching or, or with football, of just learning from other people out there who have experienced it themselves or learning from your own past experiences that didn't go well. And that's just going to continue to allow you to critique and make it better and better. And I'm sure even, even 10 years from now, I'm sure you'll look back at your program that you're running now and think like, oh, I should have done this differently or I should have done that differently. And the fact that you're open-minded to the idea of continue continued progression is is absolutely key and that's i think i think that's what sets you apart yeah yeah we already have things that that we want to try to do a little bit different over you know just a couple years of doing this i mean we we are in the the infant stages of um our way and and so we're always trying things and experimenting on practice time and equipment and you know periods and you know just all this different stuff and you know training, weight room, sprint, all that stuff. We're, we're always uh, adapting. We're definitely a work in progress. That's why, you know, that the how to cook or the recipe model is, you know, like here's our basic principles. Um, and we've got it within that framework, you know, what, how do we want it to look and, and how do we want it to change? And, and every group's different. You know, you, you just, you never know. I mean, like I said, that you know, this year, so over the last two years, we're going to graduate 24 seniors. Um, you know, and so now we got the next group coming up. What what are they going to do well? How do we need to tweak this? How does this change? You know, where are we better? Where are we worse? You know, what what do we need to do? And and that's 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 the job as a coach is to try to put the puzzle together uh, in a way that that makes you the most successful. I love it. Yeah. If if I could go back in time, I'd love to play for you. And it doesn't surprise us that you know all the athletes that have been seniors have sent those texts and let you know how impactful you've been on them. Um, because even from just talking to you this past hour 20, um, it's very evident your passion and, and everything like that for the game. So we really appreciate having you on. And I think a lot of coaches are going to get a ton of benefit from this podcast. And they're probably, if they're not familiar with you or Tony, they're probably sitting there with their jaw wide open and might have to uh, play it back again and, and continue to um, look into some of your content. So wh where can people find out more about you? Yeah, Twitter's probably the best way. Um, Coach B. Dixon. Uh, so uh, just like my name, Brad Dixon. So just Coach, the letter B, and then D-I-X-O-N at Twitter. Um, I've got 
uh, several videos on the track football consortium. I've got some, a few articles on the track football consortium. Um, I'm, I'm potentially going to be, um, rolling out some uh, championships productions videos that's still kind of potentially in the works um for late spring early summer so i'm not not through all that but um you know they can they can email me uh at b dixon at c u s d the number three dot com um and i'll try to get back to you you can send me a direct message um i try to answer a few coaches each day depending on the volume of them um, with with just ideas that we have and and uh, enjoy hearing what other people are doing or how they've taken an idea and tweaked it. Um, like I said, the the coaching profession will only grow if if coaches share and and they're willing to to be open to other people's ideas. And and we are definitely a coaching staff that that is not set in our ways. And and uh, like I said, we've been we've been taught better ways uh, through the years. And and uh, we welcome those types of things as well, or those questions, because anytime someone questions what we do, it, it forces me to have a why for why we do it. Um, and it makes me actually, you know, understand the reasons that we do certain things. So. Thanks coach. We appreciate it. Like Brad said, um, we hope everyone who listens to this takes away something very positive for their life, for their sport, for whether they're coach, athlete, things like that. So, we appreciate talking to you. We hope to talk to you again on this podcast. Otherwise, we'll keep following you on Twitter. And uh, have a wonderful rest of your night, okay? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs>